I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. This Advent season, we're making our way through the Old Testament, and we are following what you could call a thread of promise. And what we've been seeing, at least what I hope you've been seeing, both this Advent season and last Advent season, is that there are these threads of promise, these, these glimmers of hope that we find in the Old Testament, and they are pointing forward to and finding fulfillment in the arrival of Jesus Christ. We are reminded here what Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, that it can never be pointed out too frequently that the great message of the Old Testament and the great message of the New Testament are really one. He's reminding us that this is one great story. And by the way, I'm encouraging you to get into your Bibles, to read through the whole Bible. I'm not just telling you to do that because it's a, it's a good habit. I'm telling you to do that because as followers of Jesus, our love for him, our understanding of him, and our obedience of him will be enriched and fulfilled as we read this whole book and see the way that this is one great story, the most important story in the world. It's the story of the God who made us and who loves us, who made us to know him and love him and enjoy him and worship him forever. It's the story of what went wrong and our sin and our rebellion and how we've inserted a virus into this world that is permeating through and ruining everything that it touches. But it's the story of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. It's the story of a rescue mission that God has put in place to save sinners like you and me. And it's a story about how God is going to bring it all back. Everything that we lost because of sin, God is going to bring it all back. Having dealt with sin, he's going to put us back in the garden where we were meant to be. That is the story that we see in this book from page one right to the very end. And the more we read this book and the more we see this story, the more we will love and delight and appreciate what we see. And you might ask, well, where does Christmas factor into all this? Is this really a Christmas sermon? And I would say, Absolutely it is, because that restoration mission, that plan of redemption, God accomplished it through a person, through the person that we see wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, Jesus Christ. In our last song, we sang about, um, he will crush the serpent's head. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, that probably felt like a very weird song to sing at Christmas. But if you've been tracking along with this series, you know that actually it's not. Because on the very opening pages of the Bible, when sin is introduced to the world and everything goes wrong, God makes a promise to our enemy. And he says to that serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So in the opening pages of the Bible, God promises that a child will come. A child who at great cost to himself will once and for all defeat our spiritual enemy and redeem and restore this broken world. So from the opening pages of the Bible, our eyes are open. We are watching and waiting for this child of promise who will finally bring things back to where they were meant to be. Now, if you were, um, just by way of illustration, when you were younger, uh, do you remember when you'd get a sheet of paper and it would have a bunch of dots with numbers on it and you would trace from one to two to three to four? To, and as you did that, the the page of dots would eventually become a, a picture. And the further you went in your tracing, the more clarity. Do you remember that? Well, the Old Testament is kind of like that. And so as we are following these threads of promise and picking up from here to here, from here to here, as we're tracing these dots and following the path, 
We're, we're seeing with greater clarity who this child will be, what this child will do, how this child will bring us home. And to that end, we're coming to the next hour. We're coming to Ezekiel 34. And I hope you have your Bibles open. Look with me now. We're going to read from verses 11 to 24 in Ezekiel 34. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you were with us last Sunday... Uh, you'll remember that we were in the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, God's people were straying, they were rebelling in their sin, and God sent the army of Assyria to judge his people. And so the army of Assyria swept through the northern tribes of Israel and actually eliminated 10 of the 12 tribes. What we didn't cover last week was that the southern tribes, the tribes of Judah, repented. They learned their lesson. They repented, and God miraculously saved them from this powerful army. And so you'd think, well, that's amazing. Praise God. They learned their lesson. Everything's fine. Well, today in Ezekiel, we're actually a generation later. That's all. A generation later. And we discover that the people of Israel are picking up right where they left off. Now the southern tribes of Judah who remain are looking just like the northern tribes of Israel that were wiped out. They're marked by greed. They're marked by corruption. The leaders are wicked. They're leading them into ruin. They're neglecting the poor. They're hogging and storing. And, and God says, you didn't learn your lesson at all. And so the nation of Babylon is now picked up. And they pick up right where Assyria left off. They overtake the southern tribes. They overtake Jerusalem. 
They send away these uh, people from Judah. They send them away to captivity in Babylon. Ezekiel was one of those people. So he's been sent away from home. He's living in Babylon in a foreign land where they don't speak his language, where his culture is being erased. He's living in this foreign land, and it's from there that he writes this text in front of us. So that's our, that's our context. And it's there in that moment of history. In fact, in chapter 33, right before our text today, Ezekiel just received news that they've destroyed the temple. When they sent him away, the temple was still intact. But in Ezekiel 33, those living in Babylon get the news that they've now destroyed the city. They've destroyed the temple. Everything that we know and love and remember is gone. And it's in that moment that God gives this promise. When all seems lost, God speaks a beautiful promise to his people. He promises that he himself will be a good shepherd. He will bring his people home. And so today, as we consider our passage, I'm going to ask two big overarching questions. The first is this. Who is the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34? And at first glance, this seems very clear. The first thing we see is that the good shepherd will be God. This is all over the passage. Look especially at verse 15. God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. So God says, I am going to be the shepherd that leads you out and brings you home. And I want to make sure that we just hear how sweet that promise is, because there's, some, there's something beautiful about this. Remember, he's speaking this to exiles who are living in a foreign land, who are lost. But he's speaking this to a people who, who deserve to be lost. So remember, they, they've lost their homes. They, the temple's been destroyed. The walls that used to keep them safe have crumbled down. They... Everything that they remember is gone. They've lost everything. And the worst part of it is that they deserve this. It was their sin that led them to this place. And they know this. It was their rebellion, their greed, their wickedness, their rejection of God that had led them to this place. They deserved this. And it looked like their story was over. But what we see in this passage is that their story was not over. Even though it should have been. It wasn't. God saw them in the mess that they had made for themselves. He saw them there, and he had compassion on them. Some of us need to hear that today. These people, in a mess of their own making, seeming like there's no hope, and he has compassion on people like that. And so he comes to them. And while there's no excuse for sin, and you need to hear that, there's no excuse for sin, Israel could have said, well, it's their fault, it's this fault. We often do that with our sin, right? Well, it's because of him or it's because of her. That's what they did in the garden. There's never an excuse for sin. And yet, God in his mercy does recognize that there are factors, contributing factors. And in, in the case of his people here, God sees that, that they have been without good leadership. He recognizes that they have not been led well. They have had bad examples in front of them. The prophets, the people who were supposed to teach them, the priests, they've gone astray. They're failing to teach them the word of God. The king, who was supposed to protect the people the way that God would protect his own people, has been getting rich at their expense. The leaders who are supposed to be setting a right example are leading them in treachery and ruin. And so God sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. So they are in a mess of their own making, but they've been following a bunch of, I'll say it, losers who are, who are leading them into the mess. It's a hopeless situation. And so God sees this group without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. Matthew Henry, an old pastor, writes, The under-shepherds may prove careless, but the chief shepherd 
neither slumbers nor sleeps. Maybe some of you just need to hear that today. Maybe some of you have suffered under bad leadership, bad fathers, bad pastors. You've, you've suffered under people who let you down. You feel disenfranchised. You feel disillusioned. And you're struggling with this whole thing. And you're in a mess now. And you're pointing and you're saying, I am in a mess. But honestly, like, I, I don't know which way to go. Who's going to lead me? God sees people like that. And he says, I will lead you. I will lead you. You don't, have, you don't have the father. You don't have a pastor. You don't have somebody who can show you the way. I'll show you the way. I am the good shepherd. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Who will the good shepherd be? He will be God himself. But then it gets complicated because if we continue reading, we see the good shepherd will be a descendant of David. Look again at verse 23. God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd. Who? Me. No, he says, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. If you're paying close attention, then this raises a couple questions. First of all, at the time that this prophecy was given, David has been dead for about 400 years. So how is David going to lead? Obviously, he's referring to a king in the line of David. Right? One commentator notes here, the primary force here is that the coming ruler will have the exemplary attributes of David, someone in whom the Lord delighted and who triumphed over the foes of Israel. Okay, so it's a king in the line of David who's going who's gonna to lead like David, who's going to pay, but even still that's confusing because he just said that the, the good shepherd would be God. But here he's saying the good shepherd will be a descendant in the line of David. Now, you and I, standing on this side of, of the cross and the resurrection, we understand how that fits together. But imagine those who are hearing this for the first time. They're tracking along like, yeah, God's going to be the shepherd. He's going to lead us home. And he's like, yes, and I, a descendant in the line of David will lead us home. And they're like, how does this, how does that fit? Is God being consistent? But if you remember that, that draw-by-number idea, how it's like as you continue to connect the dots, things become more and more clear? Do you remember what Isaiah prophesied last Sunday? A generation before, we considered the prophecy last Sunday. God spoke to his people. He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This child of promise we've been waiting for, he is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, listen, Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this picture is becoming more and more clear. Even for those who are hearing this for the first time, who have not yet seen Jesus, it's becoming more and more clear. We're waiting for a child of promise. We're waiting for the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. We're waiting for one who will be a righteous king like David. And this good king is actually going to be a God king. The good shepherd will be God himself and yet he will be a child in the, in the line of David. And it's coming together now. And, it, and we're being prepared now to recognize the divinity of this coming child. This isn't just going to be any child. It's going to be a God child. That's what we need. And this, this good shepherd is not just going to be a good leader. He's going to be a God leader. Which, by the way, so many times skeptics will say, well, where in the New Testament does Jesus say that he is God? Answer, a thousand places, okay? That's, that feels like a big objection. It's not. There are a thousand answers. Here's an answer you can now add to your, your repertoire. When Jesus stood up and said, I am the good shepherd, this is what he was saying. This, it's Ezekiel 34 that he's proclaiming. He's stepping into that saying, I am the divine shepherd. I am God and man leading you back into safety. 
and freedom. That's who he is. There's a reason why God sent shepherds to be the first to witness the newborn king. You ever thought about that? They're, they're coming and they're testifying to. God is like, he's like using his highlighter to make sure we don't miss this. The good shepherd has come. He's here. That's who he will be. But seeing that, I want to ask one final question this morning. That's who he will be. What will the good shepherd do? Why is this good news? God could have used any kind of imagery. He could have said, I'm going to send to you a good tax collector. Or he could have said, I'm going to send to you a good carpenter. The good baker is going to lead you home. No, but why did he use this imagery, the good shepherd? Well, first, like a shepherd, he will seek and save the lost. Look with me at verse 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Skim down to verse 16. He says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Remember, the people who first heard this promise, they, they could not be any lower. These are people who are, who are in the pit of despair, people who have lost it all. And as we've said, it was their fault. Maybe you've been in that place before. They're looking at this, this chaos, this hell around them. And they know it's, it's their fault. It's because of me that I'm in this mess. It's because of me that there is no hope. And, and so it's like the lights have been turned off and there's no hope of the lights turning back on and, and I deserve this. They've been scattered because of their sin. In fact, the story of Israel's exile to Babylon is really like a miniature portrait of the story of humanity. This is our story. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we are all lost. We have all lost what we were supposed to have, which is this relationship with God. We've all been driven away from, from home, from where we were supposed to be. Most importantly, we've all been separated from God. And so we all have this enormous gaping hole inside of us that we try to fill with all kinds of things and we can't fill it. Something is broken, something is wrong. We're like exiles living in a foreign land. That's Israel's story and that's our story. But thanks be to God, we're reminded here that the good shepherd has come to go after people like us, people who are lost. Jesus, again, he stepped into this imagery, and Jesus said, that's who I am. And hearing that, knowing that, it prepares us to appreciate what he says in Matthew 18. He says this, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Jesus comes down and he steps into this role and he says, that's, that's who I am. I'm the shepherd. And don't you know that a shepherd goes after the lost? Don't you know that he doesn't quit, that he finds them? And when he finds them, he rejoices. Just like we were rejoicing this morning over these two young women. The rejoicing in this room pales in comparison to the rejoicing that was happening in heaven as God brought these two young women into life. 
And that's what he longs to do with us. Maybe you're here today and, and this is not you and you're not living in relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and you're lost and you've never thought much about this. You've never thought much about Jesus, never thought much about God. And yet as you hear the word of God, there's something inside of you that it just rings true. And I believe that because I believe this is true. Therefore, I believe that this is going to speak to us, to speak right to our hearts. And you recognize here that, that you have sinned, that you have rejected God, that there is something wrong. You can see it in your life. There's something wrong. And if that's you, I just want you to hear today that the good shepherd, Jesus, came to bring you home. He came to seek you out. It's not a, it's not a coincidence today that you're here with us. He's put you here to hear the call. The good shepherd is saying, come home. And when we come home, there is rejoicing. He doesn't bring us back and then wag his finger in our face and say, shame on you. He brings us back and he shows us the cross where Jesus has taken our guilt and our shame. And he makes us his children. Back in the fold. Now others of you are here. And I'm mindful that maybe you're here today and, and you've put your trust in Jesus. You say, yeah, I am. I'm a sheep. I'm in the fold. And yet you are living right now in a, in a time where the consequences of your sin are just piling up. Jesus came and he took the curse of sin for us. But isn't it true that there are still consequences that we feel? Maybe you've made some decisions, you've made some mistakes, you've, made, you've sinned. And, and that's affecting your life and you feel it right now. Have you experienced God's discipline in your life, Christian? Or did Israel? So did Israel. They were scattered. But we're reminded in this story that while discipline is painful, discipline is not abandonment. God was not done with Israel, even though they were stranded in Babylon. And he's not done with you. He's not done with you. The uh, author of the Hebrews asks, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines who? The one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So if you're here today and you're in that season and it's hard to see through it, I just want you to hear today that these seasons of discipline, they happen because he loves us. They happen because he has a plan to bring us through. Sometimes we need to go on a timeout so that we can come to our senses. And like a good father, he knows when to do that. But discipline is never abandoned. He's not done. Jerry Bridges writes, I love this quote. There's some quotes that you, just, you can tuck up. You want to memorize these. This is one of them. He says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For as long as there's breath in your lungs, the story isn't over. Not too far gone. And now listen, I don't want to say that naively. You might be the biggest sinner in this room. One of us is. Just the math. You might even be the biggest sinner in this city. But the good shepherd is still ready to pick you up and bring you back to the fold. He does this. He does this. We could all share stories from our past that would make you grimace, make your eyebrows curl. He does this. He takes broken, sinful people, lost people, he cleans them up and he brings them home. The good shepherd will seek and save the lost. That's the first thing we see. Second, the good shepherd will bring us safely home. Look at verses 13 to 15. 
says, and I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, and by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And if you're familiar with with your Bible, you don't even need to be familiar with your Bible. You probably recognize something in there, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. The people who first heard this promise, again, they're living in exile in Babylon, and when they first heard this promise, they would have understood this to mean that the good shepherd is going to come and he's going to lead us back home, meaning he's going to lead us back to Jerusalem. And of course God did that. He did lead his people back. They did go back into Jerusalem. But that, that wasn't the final fulfillment of this promise. The good shepherd is going to lead us home, but not home to some city in the Middle East. No, he's going to come to lead us all the way home. They weren't going back far enough in their memory. He's going to bring us right back to the garden, right back where this story began, right back before our sin entered into the equation and ruined everything. He's going to bring us all the way home. And it's only there in that place that we will finally have rest, that we will finally be secure, that we will finally have peace. And he's going to do it. He said that he would do it, and he will do it. Now, how will he do it? That's the challenge. Because remember, we were kicked out of the garden for a reason. Imagine, I was trying to think of an illustration this morning, and this might not be the best one, but it's all I had. Imagine you've got this pristine pool. Imagine the garden was like that. It was just this perfect, serene, pristine pool. And then we came with our, like, filth. We, we'd been working in the um, stonemasonry all day, and so we're covered in, like, powder cement and, and mud and muck, and we jump into the pool. Well, immediately now, that, that beautiful, pristine pool, it's, it's no longer beautiful and pristine, right? And all of that muck and all that mess spreads immediately throughout the whole pool. And anyone else who's in that pool gets affected by this muck and this mess. That's, like, that's kind of like what happened with sin. As soon as sin entered into the equation in this world, it's not like your sin only affects you. No, your sin affects everyone. My sin affects everyone. Sin is, it's like that. It's like a disease. I see some people wearing masks today because you're just mindful that this, this virus affects people. Sin is like that. And when sin came into the world in the opening pages of the Bible, it wasn't a little thing. It, was, it destroyed everything. Sin is everything that's wrong with this world. And so then Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to lead you all the way home. And we're like, well, that's amazing news. And it's okay, so now we can go back into the pool. But here's the problem. I was kicked out of the pool for a reason. If I come back and I'm still covered in all this muck and all this filth and I've still got all of that, then even though God's restored creation, even though the the new heaven and the earth is there, if I jump back into that pool with all my mess, we're going to be back to where we started. So in order to to get home, to be back in that perfect presence of God, in order for things to be the way that they need to be, God needs to deal with this sin, with this mess in me. So the good shepherd is going to lead us home, but how will he do it? Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
So not only is he leading us home, he is the way home. You have to pass through me in order to get back home. And again, by way of illustration, this morning I was thinking, how do we make this clear? Imagine like a car wash. You've been through the car wash. It's like my kid's favorite thing in the whole world. You're like the nastiest van in the world, but then you pass through and all of a sudden the jets are spraying and shooting and washing the, and you come out and, and you're pristine. Jesus says, I am the door. When you, when you confess your sin and you lay that on me, when you put your trust in me that I'm going to take that sin and pay for it at the cross, when you do that, you are entering by faith through me. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? So we pass through this as if like you're passing through the car wash. And in doing that, all of the sin in me, all of the sin that I've contributed to this world, all the stuff that's rooted right down to the core of me, Jesus takes all of that with him to the cross. And then we sing this all the time, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That's what happens. That is, that is the heart of the heart of the heart of Christianity. And so Jesus came, and he clothed himself in our flesh, our frail humanity. We call that the incarnation. That's the word for it. He came down into this broken world, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God, clothed himself in our flesh, and he lived the perfect, obedient life that we could not live. And then he went to that cross, and at the cross, he died the debt that sinners deserve to die. But he didn't die for his sin, because he had no sin. He died for the sins of all of those who would place their trust in him. And because he was not just a man, because he was also eternal God, that offering was enough to pay for all of his flock, all of his people, all of his sheep. And so if we put our trust in Jesus, and this is the scandal of it. Like, well, how do I get, maybe you're here and you're like, that sounds great, but how do I get it? What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to confess your sins and place your trust in Jesus. And then he's already done it. That's how you come through the door. You humble yourself and you say, I need Jesus. And then you enter in. And that's it. That's why when you look around you, you see a bunch of us are like, you know, we're not the most impressive people. The New Testament's pretty clear about that. Like we're, you, the church is not the place where all the shiny, super impressive people are. It's the place where sinners, saved by grace, worship their great God and rejoice in their great Savior. The shepherd who fought off our enemy. And some shepherds fight off lions, some fight off wolves. Jesus, the good shepherd, came to fight off sin and death. And like a good shepherd, he got in between us and the thing that would ruin us, the thing that would destroy us. He got in between us and that, and he laid down his life for us. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he did. He died in our place. And then three days later, when he rose from the grave, he did. Jesus proved that a way has been made for people like you and me, sinners who should be separated from God, muddy, messy people who should not be allowed back into the pool. He's made a way for us to come home. He is the door. If we confess our sin and place our trust in him, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can come home. And while it would be nice to end right there, there's a third thing that we see in this passage where we need to land. What will the good shepherd do? Third, he will judge between the sheep and the goats. Look again at verse 17. 
As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. So remember, the people who first heard this prophecy, they're in exile, they're in Babylon, and they're there for a reason. They needed to hear a word of comfort, right? God's not done. There's still hope. There's still a way home. They needed to hear that. But they also needed to hear a firm word, that there's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why we're in this mess, and you can't come back home until you lay down that sin, until you confess that and leave it behind. You can't come back. There's no way back. Now, in this case, he really points out, for them, it was the sin of greed. He highlights that as you work through the passage. You see it in this illustrative language. That these are just the people who, it's like they could never have enough. They always wanted more. And so they're always feeding themselves, always, always wanting more, always grumbling. Meanwhile, there's people all around them who are, who are starving, and they're turning a blind eye to the poor so that they can make their lives better. And he's like, it's not enough for you to have the grass. You've got to trample down all the other stuff that other people would have. It's not enough for you to have fresh water. You've got to muddy up the rest. It's like, you don't care about anyone but yourself. So they're there because of sin. And God hates sin. And he doesn't just hate the sin of greed. He hates all sin. He hates the sin that you struggle with, the sin that you perpetuate. He hates the sin that I perpetuate. Because, again, sin ruins everything. Sin is the reason that that things are wrong with the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it well. Every unhappiness in the human heart at this minute is due to sin. If sin had not entered into this world, nobody would be unhappy. There was no unhappiness in life until sin came in. But to be a Christian, you do need to recognize this. You need to recognize the problem, or else the solution, this this God-man who has come, who died in our place on the cross. That solution doesn't make any sense unless you recognize the problem. And the problem with this whole world, the problem with this city, and the problem with your life is sin. A rejection of God, a rebellion against God. And our sin, it ruins our lives, it ruins the lives of the people around us, and this world is in chaos because of sin. Therefore, we'll never be home, meaning we'll never be truly home, until this sin has once and for all been dealt with. Because again, God can make the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, but if he puts us there with our sin, then we'll do the same thing there that we did here, and heaven will become hell. Now, we hate the idea of judgment, or at least most of us do. We bristle at it. This is not a compelling part. If you're talking to your neighbor, this is the part that you got to get there, but you don't want to. Can I tell you, judgment is good news. Judgment is good news. For this world to be made right, we need someone to finally step in and say enough is enough and and put away this mess that is ruining us. We need someone who is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly good to, to look at all of the dark, wicked, evil things that people thought they got away with. Things that have been done in the dark when we thought nobody was looking. Things that have hurt others and hurt relationships and ruined the world. We need someone to step in and say, we're going to deal with that. And that's, that's what God has done. Jesus came. In his first coming, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. In his first coming, he came and he said, I'll take all of that filth, all that mess, I'll take it for you in my flesh on the cross and I will pay for it. It is finished. And then he invites us. He says, if you'll humble yourself, if you will renounce that sin that has ruined everything and place your trust in me and humble yourself before God, then you can come home 
and I'll pay for all that sin on judgment day. It will be justly dealt with in me at the cross. That's what he did in the first coming. But, you know, there's a second coming. In his first coming, the good shepherd came to lead us home. But in the second coming, the good shepherd will come to judge. He will. He will come to judge. And every sin that was not paid for on the cross will be paid for in our flesh. Jesus, again, he uses this good shepherd analogy in a number of different ways. We saw the ways that he comforted us with this analogy. But as he stepped into this this role as the good shepherd, he also said in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. One day we're all going to stand before him. And on that day, he will go and he will sort through those who are his sheep, those who are, have gone through the door, who've placed their trust in him, and those who have not. He goes on to say, and these, those who are not his sheep, those who have not placed their trust in him, who have not cast their sin upon him, but instead have kept and held on to their sin, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The good shepherd will send those who are not his sheep into eternal punishment. Some of you here today, you need to hear that. It's important news for you. It's devastating news, at least it would be, if it were not for the the fact that God has has opened a way for you to come home. That doesn't need to be you. That does not, you don't need to pay for that sin. Jesus has already paid for it. The only thing that will keep you holding on to that sin and rejecting this free gift is pride. Lay it down at the cross. It raises a question, doesn't it? The most important question you could ever ask, which is this. When you stand before the good shepherd, will he recognize you as one of his sheep? Jesus said, sheep, hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. So as we close today, I just want to ask you, do you hear his voice calling you home? I mentioned already, it's not a coincidence that you're here today. We often just chalk these things up not a coincidence you're here today. It's not a coincidence that you are hearing this today. There's nothing more important in the world than how you respond to this invitation from the Good Shepherd. Do you hear his voice today? Do you hear him calling you home? Do you hear him offering you this gift that that solves the, the great problem that you sense deep down is there? Do you hear him then come? Come and receive it. Come and worship the child of promise. Come, bow down before the good shepherd. Come and follow him all the way home. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we just want to acknowledge today that you are so kind. You are so kind. The gospel is good news. It's good news because you God, in your infinite mercy and wisdom and justice and kindness and love made a way for us to come home. God, and I know myself and I know that I could 
I don't, I don't deserve this. God, I can't undo the wrongs that I've done, and neither can any man or woman or boy and girl in this room. We can't get home in our own strength. We can't make it right in our own strength. And God, for our, most of our lives, we try and we try and we strive, and it's exhausting. And God, I just pray that, Lord, that today would be the day that you would open our eyes to see the rest that is ours in Christ, that the good shepherd has come to do what we could not do, that he loves to pick up his sheep and put them on his shoulders and pull them out of the brambles and the muck and the mess and bring them back into the pen. And he longs to lead us all the way home. God, I pray that we would see that and believe that. God, I pray, Lord, I pray specifically today, if, there, if there's someone here and they're hearing your invitation, not me, Lord, they're hearing you. They're feeling a prompting in their spirit. Lord, but there's, there's pride. There's something fighting, something resisting, suppressing the truth. God, I just pray that you would so powerfully overwhelm them in the name of Jesus, God, that your spirit would convict and move and that in this moment, Lord, in this moment, that they would lay down their sin and put their trust in Jesus and know that they are saved. God, because you can do that in an instant. God, I pray that that miracle would happen in this room. God, so only you can do it. Lord, I pray that you would. I thank you, Lord, for the two miracles that we celebrated earlier today. Lord, I thank you for Elizabeth. I thank you for Alia. I thank you for their new life in Christ. God, I thank you that one day when they stand before you, you will recognize them as your sheep. They have heard your voice. Lord, I pray that we would have a room full of people here today who respond to the voice of our good shepherd. Lord, give us ears to hear. We can't just make ourselves hear. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Lord, and we ask for all of these things urgently. Lord, we ask them in faith. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Worship team, would you lead us?